that's a blessing having the Kims. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of Kims here. It's kind of <laughs> weird. But uh, we had Angela. You were like the only Kim for a while. Oh, yeah, Jen Kim. Oh, what's wrong with me? Man, my brain just kind of pooped itself. All right. Well, um, I was going to start off with a joke, but I forgot what it was. Yeah, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, my, my wife, Pastor Mina, has been gone for the last couple of days. Uh, on Friday morning, she left, early Friday morning, she left for Japan. Her father, uh, Mickey Choi, came down to Japan after visiting Taiwan, and so they had a time to, but she has family there, her grandparents, her grandmother, uh, she has a lot of family in Japan, and so she went and visited Japan. She was gone for two days, and then it was weird because in that two days, I reverted back to a single man. It's really funny, I did stuff that I, I rarely do, like ordering a box of chicken by myself. Uh, yesterday, when I was, uh, Writing my sermon, I was like, man, I could, I can make a ravioli with vegetables, or I can order chicken. <laughs> and then nobody was saying no, so I ordered chicken. <laughs> and I ate almost the whole box. I think I left one piece for you. Wow. Yes. So that stuff I did when I was single, I can't do that anymore. But for a couple of days, I just, I don't know. Your mind just reverts back to your old state, I guess. Uh, but that's not how it, in the kingdom of God, it does not happen. Now, in the kingdom of God, once God redeems you, you stay redeemed. Amen? Amen. Not so much in marriage, I guess. Um, I, I like to continue my sermon series on the book of Acts. You know, my, my most recent sermon, I talked about the Pentecost. And the, and the Pentecost is a significant event in, in Christian history. Um, you know, it, the, the book of Acts starts with Jesus after he's resurrected from the dead. And for 40 days, he's teaching. He's teaching the disciples about the kingdom of heaven about the kingdom of God. All of a sudden he says, wait. Now wait for this Holy Spirit that's going to come and empower you. And all of a sudden, you know, and then he gives him a mandate that you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the end of the years. And then he kind of takes off, you know, like kind of floats up into heaven. And uh, the, the disciples are left waiting. You know, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And, and in, in, in their time of waiting, there's about 120 of them in, in the upper room. Um, as they're waiting, all of a sudden, uh, the room starts going crazy, starts shaking, and this wind starts coming in, and this fire lands upon them, and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was God pouring out the Holy Spirit upon His people. And uh, I ended my last message with the Pentecost and exactly uh, what happened. You know, how Pentecost was very significant. It was a moment in Christianity where God actually birthed the church. And up until then, there was a lot of disciples that followed Jesus. But when Jesus left, they were left like, well, what do we do now? Because up till then, they were thinking that Jesus was going to be this political leader that was going to take, raise up the kingdom of, of Israel again. But as he left, they were left with a lot of questions. But at the moment Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came, the church was birthed. They knew what they were supposed to do. Everything started to make sense for them that Jesus was teaching him in the past. And he was like, I'm going to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to equip you and I'm going to empower you. And I'm giving you a calling and a purpose. Now go and be my witnesses. Go and advance the kingdom of God. And it started and it was poured out at Pentecost. And it wasn't until Pentecost that the church knew its full potential and its full identity. Um, you know, I, I don't like going on tangents, but you know, I'm going to go on this tangent. There is a purpose to the Holy Spirit. You know that? You know, and it's a purpose that is greater than just you feeling good about yourself. And so much times in evangelical Christianity, the Holy Spirit is reduced down to a feeling almost. Like, oh, I had the Holy Spirit in me. Feel the peace of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they, they resort it down to like a ticket to heaven. Oh, I have Holy Spirit in me. I know I'm going to be going to heaven. But the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. And for those that know, it is, it is power. The Holy Spirit is power. It's wind and fire. I preached about wind and fire, how wind is the raw. That's the Hebrew. It's the breath of life. It represents the breath of life. And where the Holy Spirit goes, life flows. Life follows. Where, where, where you, you see a place where it's all just, just dead. And, and it's, it, you know, sometimes we go on mission trips and we go to places where we're like, man, this is really horrible. Can't people believe people live like this? And all of a sudden we have a service and the Holy Spirit shows up. And afterwards, things change. It, it, things start to look beautiful. 
People start to rejoice, and life fills that place. Closer? You want me to go closer? Is that one? Okay. No, and so, you know, the, the pneuma, the rach, is the breath, it's the breath of life, it's the Holy Spirit. It's also represented by fire. At Pentecost, fire came. Fire is light. It's revelation. It, it shined light. It gave us truth. But on top of that, it warms us. It's the fire of God that warms our hearts, that turns into this raging inferno, that burns away all the dross, all the, all the stuff that's not from Him, and then we're left with gold, with refined gold. That is the Holy Spirit. It's the, the transforming power. The same Holy Spirit that, that, that was in Jesus Christ when He did all the miracles. The, the miracle signs and wonders is the same Holy Spirit that was poured out upon His disciples. It wasn't a, 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 a lesser Holy Spirit. It wasn't like like an uh, uh, inferior version of the Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that was poured out. And that's the Holy Spirit that we have access to. But a lot of Christians say they don't, they don't recognize His power. They don't recognize exactly what is inside of them. They're, they're blind to it. It's like a man given a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Got, who knows what a Lamborghini is? Everybody know what it is? It's a very fast car. Usually it has 12 cylinders. A taxi in Seoul, I think it has six cylinders. But it has 12 cylinders. Usually it has like 400 to 500, up to 700 horsepower. This is a machine that's meant to be driven. And it's meant to be driven fast. You know what I mean? It's powerful. When you hear a Lamborghini, it's like, like alarms go off because it's vroom. And it, there's this vibration that comes out of this car. You know, and it's like having this type of machine and then just keeping it in your garage. And once a day you go out there, you sit in it, you take pictures, you wash it, and then you go back inside. And you don't drive it. Is there any, like, gaming computer people in here? I was going to say a, a word, but I think that's a little offensive. Is there any gamers in here? People that know a lot about computers? Well, if you, there was, I think Roy's, somebody knows a little bit. It's like owning a CyberPower Black Pearl PC, which has 12 gigs of RAM. It's juiced up with the Intel i7 processors that clocked at 4 gigahertz. This is a powerful computer that's built for gaming and playing these, these games, elaborate games with people all around the world. And you're doing email with it. And you're on Facebook. And you're ordering things on Gmarket. You know, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is so much more than just a good feeling. It's so much more than, than just a ticket to heaven. But it equips us, it empowers us, and it moves us to action. The Holy Spirit is here to move us to action. It's supposed to be moving forward in faith. And what's this action that we're supposed to be doing? Well, Pastor Melon was last year. She preached out of Ephesians 4. It's a very long sermon. She holds the record now for the longest sermon in Seaside. She holds that belt. She should be proud. The hour and 18 minutes. I feel, I feel a little bad for the newcomers, but it was a blessed sermon. It was a powerful sermon. I was like, man, it's good. It was, it was, it was anointed. It was apostolic. Um, but she's preached out of Ephesians 4, and it says that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip saints for the work of the ministry. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are a minister. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're born again, you are called to minister. You're, you're paid to play. It's not like basketball where there's bench players. There's no bench Christians. Now, have you ever seen b- basketball games, the N- NBA, and then you see the people that are actually playing, that go in and out? And then there's some people that never take, up their, take off their, warm, war, their jumpsuits, their warm-ups. They're just kind of in the side. And then when they get a slam dunk, they're the ones that go, oh, yeah, and they do the chest bump. And then they go back in there and they sit down. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? There's no such thing as bench Christianity. We are all called to play. We are all in the game. If you're a believer and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called a minister. You are a saint and you're called to minister. You're called to be, to be the, the hands and feet, the light to the darkness. It says in Ephesians 3.20, Not to whom he was able to do far more abundantly, and all that we ask for or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
We are all called to the ministry. We are all called to minister for the building up of the body of Christ, to be his witnesses. And at Pentecost, this power was released not just to the disciples, not just to the apostles, but it was released to all of us. It was for generations to come. And right now, that power is, it, is in you. It's that kinetic energy. It's in you to do things that are f- far more abundant, that can go blow our minds, that's uh, beyond anything that we can even imagine, it says. And so I want to move on to the, the actual text of my, my sermon today. And it's from where I left off in my last sermon. It's from Acts 2, 14. It's a pretty long piece of passage. So let's all move, uh, turn our Bibles to Acts 2, verse 14. If you're there, let me get an amen. amen. All right. I'm going to read from the ESV. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. These are the men that were gathered at, around. There's thousands of them. And he says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these, are, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was utter, uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young... And your young men shall see dreams, and your old men shall dream vi- dreams. See visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourself know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he doth die and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he, his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, amen, And of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. All right, so this is a pretty long, it, it, you basically heard a sermon. <laughs> I just read to you a sermon preached by the Apostle Peter. Um, 
So after the, bat, the disciples are baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They all start speaking in different languages. And this phenomenon is called glossolalia or the gift of tongues. And some of the onlookers are like, what? You know, I can hear, I can hear that guy speaking about God in my language. And I'm from like, you know, Macedonia or some of these other countries. And other people are like, well, no, I can hear them speaking in my language. And then some of them, they were like, oh, but, you know, the ones that were, their hearts were closed were saying, these men are drunk. To them, it sounded like carrots. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, they're like, oh, these, these are, they probably got into the wine. You know, they probably got that, had some of that drink. And then, and then, and then, and so, you know, the, their hearts were closed. And so they weren't able to hear the, the phenomenon that was happening. And all of a sudden, Peter gets up and delivers a sermon that brings 3,000 converts to the church. And the words that comes to mind when I read this is relevant. It's relevant. Peter, the church, the testimony of Jesus, it was all relevant to the people that heard. Let me tell you, if you want to gather 3,000 people of any kind and want to have them come into agreement on something or something, you have to be relevant. Throughout history, people were moved into actions because of ideas and beliefs that they had. It was relevant to them. In the early 1800s, a man by the name of William Wilberforce became a Christian. He was saved one day. And he saw the injustice and the oppression that came with the slave trade in the British Empire. So he made it his personal life goal to abolish slavery. And it took him close to 20 years. He became a member of parliament, tried to pass all these laws. He always stopped. But ultimately, because this was relevant to him, and ultimately became relevant to not just a whole nation, but an entire empire. Slavery was abolished in the British Empire. In America, during the colonial times, a group of men and women realized the relevance of freedom. So much so that they were willing to take up arms and go to war to fight for it. If you're going to move people to action, belief, or any way of thinking, you have to be relevant. And for a man, an uneducated man, a fisherman, to stand up and speak his first sermon, and doing so, bringing 3,000 people to Christ, he, what he spoke was relevant. But today we live in a world so much, with so much information and technology that it's almost impossible to make anything relevant, especially to young people. In our postmodern age, it comes to a point where faith in God is almost irrelevant to an entire generation. How do we become relevant again? How do we make our voice, our words, our message relevant to a generation that thinks is gibberish? And I believe that in Peter's sermon, in the book of Acts, sheds light to the situation. The first recorded sermon of the church in the Christian era is not a Jesus' sermon, but it's a sermon, it's basically the first sermon of the church. And I believe in it, there are clues and answers to how we can be relevant. It's a sermon that all preachers should study. All believers should study the sermon. And when I read it and when I really studied it, there were like three sermons that came out of it. I will not preach all three sermons today. I might touch up on some of them later on in the weeks to come. But today I want to look at the sermon as a whole and draw out an aspects of what helped this sermon be so relevant at this time. When all these people from all around the known world had gathered together, they all had their, their own agenda. They all had the reasons to be there. This wasn't their home. And the, and, and the same people that crucified Jesus, they said, crucify him. We're all gathered in this place. And he gets up and says some words. And 3,000 of them are brought into, into their numbers. There is significance in the sermon. And I like to demonstrate what the significant things are that made this sermon so relevant. And the first lesson that we can learn from Peter's sermon is that you need to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter was a fisherman. I said, I I said about Peter was a fisherman. You know what a fisherman was back in Galilee in the, in the biblical times? It was like the, one of the lowest professions. You know, you, in, in biblical times, 
they had all these teachers. Okay, it was a theocracy, and so everything was 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 about religion. Everything was pertained to God. Government officials. It was in, in the in the Israel culture. It was still pertaining to God. Hierarchy was based on religion, and how high you were up up were based on how much you knew about the Torah, Torah, or, or the scriptures. And so when when rabbis would come around, they would go and pick young kids. Like, all right, I want you to study with me. And usually they were from affluent, well-off families, sons of Pharisees and Sadducees. And they would go and they would, they would get these young men and they would teach them. And they would become scribes. But for people like Peter, that means they probably were from low families. Nobody picked them to study, teach them. And so when, when that happens, you end up doing what your father did. Same thing happened to Jesus. Jesus did what his father did. Nobody picked him. Nobody taught him. And he ended up being a carpenter, just like his dad. And Peter was just another fisherman, just like his dad. And it's not a clean thing. You, you, have you ever, like, touched a lot of fish? I went fishing with my dad many times when I was young. I loved fishing, but then for, like, a couple of days, your hands would smell. And then it got to the point where I would rub garlic on my hands to get the fish smell out. I'd rather have my hands smell like garlic than fish. No, and, and Peter basically was an uneducated man, had no stature, no clout to stand on, and yet thousands of people gave attention to what he was saying, and they listened. And what, what, what was the reason? What was the reason? It was the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit was operating on him. The manifest presence of God was upon him. And we call this anointing. Basically, Peter was anointed. Now let me tell you, even non-Christians are drawn to the anointing. Now Amina would tell me these stories of when she was back in Seoul and her friends, her, and she used to be a partier before she came back to the Lord. She was party. Oh, yeah, go to clubs. She had all these friends. She had a crew of, of, of guys and girls that she would party with. They all knew her. And then one of them would have a birthday, and they would all gather at this, at this bar or a club. And Amina, she's filled with the Spirit. She would go to her roommate and say, let's pray together because I'm going to go to this place and I, I want to get prayed up. And she would pray. And she'd get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she would go to these places and she would talk to these guys. And, then, and these guys would be attracted to her. And girls. They'd be like drawn to her. And they want to talk with her. Because something was different. And with that attraction, is the anointing. When that anointing flows, it doesn't matter who you are. If you have a soul... It's going, to, it's going to get gravitated. Start, start moving towards that anointing. And, and at this time, Peter was anointed. The presence of the Lord was upon him. The people couldn't help but listen. And in our world, for us to be relevant, we need to be a people filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's got to be operating in us. All times. We've got to be anointed. When Herman came, he led praise on Friday 5 for the first time. He's an anointed praise, worship, praise worshiper. I'm so excited to have him here. I remember when I first came to Korea and he used to lead praise at Friday Fire. He used to go to another church, but he used to come out and lead praise for us. I'd be like, man, a, maybe it's the accent, but that's anointed. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's good. But that's the anointing. That's the anointing. As we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit. The second lesson that we can learn from Peter's sermon is that we need to be biblical. They were saying, they're all drunk. And Peter says, no, don't be silly. It's 9 a.m. He points out how ridiculous it would be for 120 devout Jews to be drunk at 9 in the morning. And it's from wine. They're saying from new wine. It takes a, you got to drink a lot of new wine to get drunk. And from here, he goes straight to scripture. He says, I mentioned it. You know, I mentioned in my, my previous sermon that Peter, you know, at, throughout this time, he was studying the scriptures. We can infer that, that when he recites scripture, he knows it because he studied it. And, and in fact, Jesus, this is something that Jesus was teaching them for many years. For, for, for throughout his ministry, he was, he was drawing them into the scriptures. And it says, on the road to Emmaus, this is after Jesus died, he resurrected, and these disciples were leaving Jerusalem. As they're on the road to Emmaus, it said, it says that Jesus met them and said, From Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Jesus was biblical. Jesus was scriptural. And we see Peter 
in his first opportunity that he had to speak, he, he goes to Scripture, to the Word of God. He says, these men are not drunk, but what's happening is what the prophet Joel talked about. And he points out the clearest and most obvious prophecy regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He links what's happening to Scripture. And he doesn't end there. As a matter of fact, he goes on and mentions Psalm 16, 8 through 11, when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, how death couldn't hold him, how his body did not rot away in a grave. And he goes on to Psalms 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That Jesus is victorious. And when we look at Peter's sermons, his first sermon is biblical. Probably the most biblical, scriptural sermon that you'll ever hear. Because if you count the number of verses that are actual quotations of the Old Testament, and compare them to the exposition or the explanation and the application of these scripture, it's 50-50. He basically recites a bunch of scripture, and then he takes the same amount of time explaining it. In his, in his sermon, the Word of God is weighted so much more than anything he can say or add. And as witnesses of Jesus Christ to a lost world, we have to be biblical. Too many Christians today feel that, 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 that the Bible is irrelevant, that it's too old, it's too antiquated, it's boring. You know, there's some Christians that say, why not take the same lessons and the spirituality that's found in the Word of God, take it out, wrap it up. And then just offer it to the world. And it's the watering down of the word of God that is weakening the church and making it irrelevant today. This is where we get people like Oprah. All the lessons and all the spirituality without God. Have you seen a thing? I used to watch a lot of Oprah when I was in prison. The black brothers watched Oprah in prison. They used to. When, I, when you Oprah used to be on, I, I go to the day room one day, and there'd be like three brothers that are watching Oprah. Like, yeah, man, that's, that's the truth. I'd be like, really? I'll sit there, I'll watch. But then Oprah, man, she, she, she had some of the lessons that come out of Oprah, I'd be like, man, that's biblical. And that's like lessons that Jesus taught. But no, there's no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of the Bible. It's just motivational speaking. And so many churches in America do they, today do this to young people. They think that they are ADD, their attention span isn't long enough. We can't put Bible references. We just got to tell them the lesson. But they, what they need is the, the Word of God. They need truth. We need to not only study and know the Word of God, but we need to live it out in our actions. We need to apply it in our faith. We need to take Scripture, the very Word of God that is alive and it's active. You can read the same Scripture ten times, and you can get ten different revelations from it. And it's this word of God that is eternal. And we have to stay true to it. Because it is truth. And the one thing that this world finds relevant is truth. Even in this postmodern generation of smartphones, emails, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, tweet, Twitter, and tweets, and text messages, and cacao talk. The word of God is truth and it never gets old. And it's always relevant. The Word of God is always relevant. We just need to apply it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which is not, it wasn't very eloquent. People say it's eloquent. When I read it, it wasn't that eloquent. You want to hear an eloquent speech? Go to a few chapters and read what Stephen says before he gets martyred. He basically talked, he basically repeats this story about the whole is. The, 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 the nation of Israel's history from Abraham to Solomon to Jesus in just one chapter. And he does it beautifully. He was a melancholy, I could tell. <laughs> Peter's a sanguine, man. He just said whatever he comes to mind. He, you know, he was, it was powerful. It wasn't eloquent. But it was truth. You take Peter's sermon, half of which was him just basically reciting scripture, and the Holy Spirit anoints it, and he's able to bring 3,000 to their, to their numbers. That's the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And we can never take that for granted. We can never take the Bible, the Word of God, for granted. We can never wash it down. We can't take it and make it something that's, 
more digestible. You know, you, you, can, you can present it in different ways. You can present it where it's, it, you, people are able to receive it. But you can't take out the Bible. You can't take out Scripture. We not only have to equip, be equipped with the Word of God, but we have to speak it out in faith. We are the messengers. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, the Bible is irrelevant to non-Christians because they just don't believe in it. And to that, I want to read a quote by James Montgomery Boyce. It says, people today would not even know why one is quoting the verses. He's talking about the Bible. But the point made by the way Peter's sermon is passed on to us is that every word, that the, that the very words of the Bible and the use of the Bible by God's Spirit are far more important in spiritual work than anything the preacher or the speaker can say. Even if, even if he is an apostle. It's what God says and what God does with his word when it is proclaimed or expounded that is important. It's basically, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, it, if the word of God goes out. It doesn't matter if it's irrelevant to people. It's what God does with the word of God. And I want to go further and say it doesn't matter the type of people that receives the word of God. You know, what's important is what Holy Spirit does with those words. When you think about it, when Peter was preaching, many of the people that were listening were the very people that said, crucify him. Were the very ones that, that, wanted, to, that, that, that wanted Jesus dead. The, the very people that didn't think he was the Messiah. Now, if, I was, if I was Peter, I'd be like, alright, everybody, everybody that was chanting, crucify him, raise your hand. Alright, you guys could go. And I would gather everybody else and I would say, but no. He just spoke it out in faith. Didn't matter who it was. It was Holy Spirit that does the conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. It empowers the Word of God. So we have to be biblical. When, we, when, we're, when we're confronting the world of, of a world that doesn't know God, what we're equipped with is the Bible. More than anything, we have to be biblical. We have to stay true to the Word of God. The third thing we can learn from Peter's sermon is that we, had, we, that we have to be Christ-centered. No, Peter's sermon was very Christ-centered. He talks about the pouring of the Holy Spirit you know, on, on God's people, and then he immediately goes to Jesus. And in, in the same way, our testimony, our witness, it needs to direct people to Jesus. Even the Holy Spirit, all the miracles, signs, and wonders, it all points back to Jesus Christ. John fifteen twenty six says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John sixteen fourteen says, He will glorify me, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. If the Holy Spirit is at work, whatever work He's doing, it points to Jesus. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preached about Jesus. When you see miracles, signs, and wonders, it points to Jesus. Our testimony, our witness, needs to point to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is working... He's being revealed. Let me tell you, when Jesus is properly revealed by the Holy Spirit, He is relevant. Relevant to a world that needs Him. Relevant to a world that will go to hell without Him. And one thing I want to point out in this, is when you read Peter's, Peter's sermon, he doesn't mention anything about the teachings of Jesus. Now don't get me wrong. The teachings of Jesus is utmost important for a Christian life. But it's not the teachings of Jesus that saves. It's the person of Jesus that saves. It's the person and the what He did that saves. And your new birth comes into a relationship with the person of Christ. Not His teachings. People can actually accept the teachings of Christ, but reject the person of Christ. 
And as a witness of Jesus, we need to reveal the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who he is and what he did. That if God himself came to earth as man, and in his great love for us, he took the sins of the world upon himself, was crucified, he died, was buried, and he resurrected from the dead. He conquered death for us all. And now we have eternal life with him. That's pointing and directing to the person of Jesus Christ. And what he did. What is relevant to a lost generation is the person of Jesus Christ. And the relationship that you can have with him. He's a living person. You can't preach, spiritual, you can't preach to spiritually dead people to do what Jesus says. Because they don't know who Jesus is. Many Christians, many well-meaning Christians, share what Jesus said and taught and expect those who are not born again to follow it. But they can't. They first need a revelation of Christ Jesus, the person, who he is and what he did. We can't expect to convert people or bring people into, into, the, into the kingdom based on what would Jesus do. You shouldn't live that way. It's wrong. Jesus said that it's sin. The non-believer's first encounter with Jesus can't be you trying to pick out at their behavior. Can't kind of trying to you be you picking out their sin. When the truth of the matter is, a person you're trying to win over doesn't even know the person of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is, what he did for us, is lost beneath all the judgment and the accusation. And now you have a bunch of people that hate Jesus. They want nothing to do with him. Yes, conviction of sin, repentance of sin is essential for salvation. Don't get me twisted. We, pe- we preach and teach repentance of sin. But it's not our job to bring conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. It's not our job to point out sin. Because them not sinning is not going to save them. Our role is that we reveal Jesus Christ and the person that he is. It's only when they have a revelation of Jesus that they can be convicted of sin and then brought to repentance. You know, it's really sad how the church and a lot of Christians, they deal with homosexuality. And they, when they see homosexuals, the first thing they do is they point out their sin. You're a sinner. You're living in sin. They have all these, these, these images of them just, just being sinners. That's all they hear from us. The only thing that homosexuals hear from Christians is you're a sinner. And in a misguided attempt, Christians are trying to reveal the teachings of Jesus Christ before people know the, the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a sin, but so is premarital sex. Yeah, it's a sin, but so is lying. So is gluttony. So is overeating. <laughs> By then pointing out sin... The teaching of Jesus Christ, they failed to present the person of Jesus properly. That he loves you so much. That he, he's longing for a relationship with you. That he loves you so much that he, he died and went to hell and back for you. That there's nothing, no sin that his blood can't cover. That his love for you is furious. That he's crying out, that he, that he longs for that connection with you. As a people of God, we have to be Christ-centered. That means first and utmost, directing people to the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for us and what we can find in him. And this is what Peter did in the sermon. And it says they were cut to the heart. In Peter's sermon, you know, he calls people out. He's like, yeah, you all killed, you know, you guys gave up Jesus. But you don't see him convict, trying to convict them of the, you don't see him calling them sinners. He says, he says, he doesn't judge them. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because he was not able to, it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know, Peter was preaching to a bunch of people that actually wanted to crucify Jesus. He's like, yeah, you guys, you, know, you guys did it. Calls them out. But there's no judgment. He's not like, man, y'all killed Jesus, you're going to hell. You're not like that. Like, you guys are sinners. It says that, it says, it, you know, and after he ends the sermon, it says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then it says, now when they had heard when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins. That's the power of revelation of Jesus Christ. When people come to know who he is and what he did, it's only when people are revealed the real person of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit can bring conviction. And we, and, and we can preach and call for repentance. You know, I'm not saying that we should never point out people's sins in their life. You know, preachers are called to preach fire and brimstone sometimes. There's a generation of preachers that preach fire and brimstone. I believe that they're called by God. And when you have a Christian friend, when you have a, a believer friend that's getting into some foolishness, you got to call them out on their sin. you got to check them. But there is a time and a place for that. And it always has to be done in love. It can never be to prove a point. It can never be to be right. Before anything, you have to reveal Jesus Christ to them. Repentance of sin is essential. Jesus preached repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But it also says that it's His loving kindness that brings us to repentance. We have to always operate in love. We have to reveal Jesus first. Our, our goal, our purpose is to be His witnesses. Basically, basically pointing to Him. Like that's Jesus. And not pointing at their sins. Now I want to close with my last point. And the fourth lesson that we can learn on how to be relevant to a world that does not know Jesus is a lesson that comes from Peter, from, from Peter who preached this amazing sermon that brought 3,000 people into the kingdom. It was relevant. What was it? And it was fearless. Now Peter stands up. There's a multitude of people in Jerusalem in front of the very people that tried to crucify Jesus. The very people that rejected him. He's also preaching to to, uh, in, in the shadows of the temple. These are the, and then the people, onlookers, these, these scribes and Pharisees were the actual people that plotted to, to, to murder Jesus. And he's preaching in front of these people. And he was fearless. And Peter stands up and preaches a sermon about salvation through lordship in Jesus Christ. It's like a New York Giants fan, okay, wearing an Eli Manning jersey that go to Lincoln Field in Philadelphia, where the Philadelphia Eagles play, with some of the most, I don't want, I want, to be, I want to be loving, but one of the most hardcore fans in, in football, and standing in the midst of all of these Eagles fans, after the Giants just beat the Philadelphia Eagles, and then saying, Eli Manning is a great quarterback. It's dangerous! <laughs> and yet he was not afraid. These men knew that Jesus was not just merely a man that died. But they knew that he was raised from the dead. Was the son of God. That he ascended to heaven and is currently directing the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, he's, and the preaching of the gospel. He's, Jesus is up there directing this. They knew that. And these men knew the truth. And then they, re, they expected results. Now they knew the truth of Christ. And they, they expected results. They, they knew that this is what Jesus had been preparing them for. And they knew that He was with them through the Holy Spirit. And they knew that they were confident in what God would do. That's why they were fearless. And brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, are you fearless? 
when you talk to non-Christians, are you afraid that they will reject you? Are you afraid that they will reject Jesus? Are you walking out in confidence of the truth that Jesus is with you? Or are you out there in your flesh? Let me tell you, if you're out there in your flesh, the Bible seems almost boring to you. The Bible seems insignificant. If you're out there in your flesh, Jesus, the name of Jesus, doesn't have much authority. When you're out there in your flesh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit seems powerless. It's because you're going out there based on your flesh and what you can do, what you can offer, what you can say. And let me tell you, what you can do and say is irrelevant to what God can say and what God can do. We need to go out fearless, knowing that the Jesus, Holy Spirit is with us. And it's not up to us. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. You know, in a world where there's a generation of people that think everything is irrelevant. They get bored so quickly. They get so, there's, a, yeah, there's a generation of young people that get bored of things so quickly. There's new smartphones coming out every two years. They need a new smartphone, a new app, new this, new way to do this, this and that. And we think that what needs to happen is we need to water down Christianity. We need to give them something that's, that, that, that's easier, that's simpler, that's quicker. But no, based on what we see in the Bible, we got to give them the truth. We need the Holy Spirit. We got to give them the, the Bible. We got to give them scripture. We got to point to them who Jesus is. And we got to do it fearlessly. Knowing that God is with us. And when we go out, the results are going to happen. There's a lesson that we can learn from this sermon, but it's a lesson for all of us. We are Peter. Do you know that? You're a minister. Every single one of you, you're a minister of Jesus Christ. And you're called to minister. And you're called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you're called to go out. No matter where you are, who you're with, you're called to the ministry. Let's close our eyes. Roy, come up. I want us to pray. I want you guys to pray for yourself. And get affirmation right now on who you are and who you are called to be. I'm not talking about your job. I'm not talking about what you're doing. But I'm talking about who, what you're called to be. And you're called to be a minister. Every one of you guys are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to step out equipped with the Word of God. And the testimony of Jesus Christ. To go out fearless. That's what the, the first generation church did. And you know what happened to the first generation church? They were able to actually take the gospel to almost every corner of the earth in that time. And they say that as much as it could go, they went. That's why we are Christians today. That's why we know the truth today. And it can't stop. It can't stop because a generation of kids get bored. It can't stop. It can't change. The Word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ cannot change because young people have a PlayStation. Because they have the Internet. But we got to be true to the Word. we got to be true to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And we got to go and we got to minister. Equipped with what he gives us. So I want you guys to, right now, pray for yourselves. Pray that you will be a minister. Pray that every opportunity that you get, that you will step out in faith. That you will move forward in faith. Pray that you will be a, a man, a woman of, of character, of substance, of, of righteousness, of holiness. 
And that people will see you. That the anointing that you carry will draw people to you. Pray that when you go to your work and your co-workers that are dealing with grief will come to you because you have the anointing. You have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit upon you. Like a, it's, like, it's like a magnet being drawn to metal. Pray for yourself. Pray that God will give you a heart to minister, a heart to be His witness, a heart to point people to Jesus Christ. Father God, help us to be a generation that stays true to your word, that stays true to who you are and what you did. Help us to be a generation that knows what you've called us to be and we will be that. We will be ministers, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the word of God, truth, the very words of God himself, the living and active word that is eternal. Help us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you, you called us to be. And we know that in you, we, re, we can expect results. That when we go out, we can expect it. Because what we can offer this world is truth. What we can offer this world is relevant. What we believe in is relevant. It is reality. It's, it's real to us. So Lord, I pray that every single one of us here will be a minister of Jesus Christ. That we would go and do and be what you called us to be. With what you've given us to do. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.